Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. You have to remind yourself that this, the Christmas season was the setup. You understand that? You ever thought about that? This was the setup. This was the beginning. The beginning of the end for the enemy. When Jesus came, when he was born on Christmas Day, I love that song. Everybody come back up. Let's sing that song again. Can you want to do it really quick? I just love that song. I'm kidding. But it's, it's such a great song, that first one. Where's Kayla at? She and she's probably out there. Oh, she's downstairs. Man, I wonder if, does anybody know if we're doing that one next week again? We're not. Man, we should. We should do that one again next week. I like that. Um, but if you think about it, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, yeah, so it, it was the beginning of the end, the setup. It really was. Him coming was the, the start, the birthplace of the plan that was the plan in eternity. In, and Scripture even says in antiquity, the plan from ancient times. Like, you know, we watch movies like this. We watch movies and we sit on the edge of our seats. It's like the, the national treasure piece, right? It's like America's only like three, 400 years old or whatever it is, 1776, right? And, and it's like we get so intrigued by the forefathers of the nation and all that they did. And it's really cool and I enjoy it. And we sit on the edge of our seats and we think about the plan, the crazy plan. And I'm not saying that like it was Nicolas Cage and it was exactly the way that he did it, but it's a neat movie. Why? Because we think about the elaborate nature of being a part of something that someone else worked so hard and planned in such a detailed fashion. And we're now the beneficiaries of that. Like, this is so much bigger than that. This, this was the plan from the beginning, from before time. From before, from, from humanity's purpose of communing with God, God had to have a plan to redeem us or to buy us back. And here we are living and breathing, and some of us are just machines. Some of us are just literally in the matrix, so to speak, going through the motions, and God is up there going, don't do that. Don't go through the motions. Don't take the wrong pill. Don't be in that place, in that world that I made for you as a gift. I have this elaborate, incredible plan you're ignoring it. You're sedated by the gifts of the world. You're sedated by the wiles of the devil. You're sedated, young person, by your sexuality, by who you want to be. God is saying, no, don't be sedated by those things. Look to me. Look to the one who loves you. Look to the one who did everything for you. Do you understand? This was, this was unplanned. This whole moment was unplanned right now. But God was planning this thing from the beginning. And Christmas Day is the start. It's the birthplace. And that should connect to our hearts. It should connect to our inner being. And if it doesn't, man, we need to change something up. We need to mix it up. All right, let's go to the text here. <laughs> Not sure what's going on. I really, can't, I'm having a real, real hard time working this outline. So I kind of just want to throw it away and do my own thing. <laughs> but I can't do that because it's actually a lot here. Let's talk about Christmas lists. 
How many made a Christmas list this year? Come on now. How many made a Christmas list? And some of you, thank you for being honest. All of you are like, oh no, I didn't do it. Lies. We all know you have Amazon wish lists. We all know it's in your notes. You're, you're subliminally sharing it. You're... What's that? Oh no, Miss Dawn raised her hand. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all right. Now that's a guilty conscience right there. I'm telling you, that's what it looks like. No, but listen, I, look, if you made a Christmas list, more power to you. How many made an Amazon wish list for Christmas this year? There's one, there's two. Oh, see, see, oh, I see it. Yeah, you're, I don't want anyone to see me, but I'll be honest. Uh, look, we make Christmas lists. The, the Christmas series this year is going to be really random. Uh, and, and I kind of wanted it that way. Uh, I'm not walking you through the text. <clears throat> These are all going to be topical messages for the month of December with a theme, like a, a little theme for each one. Uh, so it's going to be a different Advent series like we've ever done here at, at church during this month of December. Uh, and then uh, the first of the year, we're going to start with a few fasting messages because we're doing our 21-day fast. And then we're getting in the book of Exodus. I'm so excited to preach through the book of Exodus. It is going to blow your mind. It's already blowing my mind as I'm preparing for that as well, alongside of this series. So we've got a lot coming down the line, but I wanted to just preach some topical, fun Christmas messages for you. So the theme, what time we got? Quarter till, we're doing good. We're doing good. Everybody say, we're doing good. Everybody say, we're having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we are. Shanti, good to see you. Good to see you. So here's the thing. Um, we're, we're talking about Christmas lists. Uh, here's a quote from Charles Dickens. Check this out. I, th- I thought this was pretty good. Uh, it's, it is good to be children sometimes and never better than at Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. Have you thought about that? I read that quote this week. I was like, man, why is it so magical for children? And then we think about the fact that the whole season is centered around the advent of Jesus, who was a child. It's all about the Christ child, and there's something magical, even when, and I'll, I'll be careful here not to, uh, uh, you know, dethrone the red man. Uh, you know, be very careful here. Amen. There it is. That's good. But uh, the, uh, you know, I'll try to, to, to walk gently through those things. But the magic that our children experience, I'm probably seven or eight Christmas movies in already. I mean, how many, how many think they have me beat? How many? Ten. How many? Yo, over 20. Miss Langham's got it. She took it over 20. I love it. Y'all are in the spirit. I'm going to their Connect group this, this Thursday night. I'm telling you. Did you have Christmas cookies at your Connect group? Okay, maybe maybe next week. But, I mean, that's legit. Over 20, I love it. But I'm in the Christmas spirit. How many are watching the new Santa Claus TV series that's out on Disney Plus? Anybody? Really? Santa Claus is, like, my favorite. Uh, the original Tim Allen Santa Claus. I love that movie. It's great. We're going to talk about Christmas movies one week, though, so I don't want to steal my own thunder there. But this week is about Christmas lists, and, and so it's neat to watch children and their minds and, and the magic of that moment. They put crayon, right, to construction paper or photo paper if they're my kids. They're going down to the printer and pulling it out, and they start writing their Christmas lists. And if you think about it, like, Think about the amount of faith. Kids in the back, listen up. If you think about the amount of faith that it takes as they write with that crayon and they think about the fact that those gifts 
are going to land their way under the tree Christmas Eve because they believe it. That's magical, literally. And there's such a magical element to our faith, to what we believe. But our kids experience more magic with a crayon and photo paper or a crayon and construction paper than we experience with the book, than we experience with the eternal words of God. And when we make a Christmas list, listen, when we think about what we are going to receive or what we are going to give, have we crafted that list with him in mind? Have we crafted that list as, as this Advent season arrives? Have we crafted it with the very tenure of the text that, that allows us to feel and emote through that filter? Or have we ignored it? Are we just merely participating in the season without engaging in it? Listen, I want us to engage in Christmas this year. I don't want it to just be, and I love the, the season, but I don't want it to just be the decorating. I don't want it to just be the, the hot cocoa and the cookies, but I want those things to, for a Christian to spell out something deeper for you. And that's what today's message is all about. Orienting this idea of a Christmas list in something deeper. I, I just want to kind of walk you through some, some truths here. Uh, walk you through some things that I that I see. So, uh, where do we get the idea from Scripture of Christmas gifts? Does anybody know? The three wise men, and of course, we would settle in on that aspect of the tradition: receiving gifts, right? Of course, we as Americans would be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I mean, is that not the main part for folks most of the time in Christmas? It's the the gifts portion, right? And it does. It's it is rooted in the text. What we're experiencing. Going and buying, and uh, how many? How many get your kids uh, over twenty gifts every year? Oh, we're, we'll be praying for you. Okay, how many ten gifts? At least ten. Okay, that's about average. Okay, five. Five. That's where kind of we're at, right? Isn't it five? Five to ten. Between five and ten. Yeah. One for the older ones. One maybe like one good thing. Yeah, all right, that's cool. What's the, what's the something that they, what's the equation? You don't remember? Something they read. Yeah, anyway, there's a good one. There's a good equation out there. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Uh, what drives that? What drives the gifts? Well, the biblical narrative that drives it is this three wise men piece. And there's some false narrative around it. There's some things that we have adapted in tradition that we have read into, and we'll talk about that. Um, but this is the, I, I, I want to build you up a little bit theologically in this story. I want to give you, how many want to know more details surrounding Jesus' coming to help you kind of formulate the purpose for this season? Anybody? And look, if you're new if you're new to church, if you're new to our church or to church in general, maybe you're watching online for the first time and you're like, this guy's a nutcase. Yes, I am. Welcome to the broadcast. I love you. Uh, but that being said, uh, maybe you're brand new. This, this is a great thing for, for you to just kind of hear some of the facts, which is really the, it, some of you, you've heard this over and over and over again. It's okay. Don't get over it. Uh, let it build your faith as well. But this is also a good outline, and you can use this to go over with your kids 
maybe sometime this week. So let's look at some things here. We find that we prioritize the part of the story that involves gifts. We received that uh, from the wise men. When they saw the star in Matthew chapter 2, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary entering into the house. Don't miss that. Entering into the house, we're going to talk about those misconceptions in a little bit. They saw the what? The child. Yeah, the child. With Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warmed and warned, and being warmed by the fire, no, and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So, just to kind of fill in a little bit on that, we find that the three, many say it's three wise men. We get that because there's three gifts. Uh, I would venture to say they, there are probably more than three. And the, the magi is another word that we're translating from, the magi or wise men. They came from afar. They came, I believe it says, from the east. Um, we have this tradition is found in the Old Testament. Uh, there's a scripture verse in Psalms that we'll read here in a few minutes that talks about this tradition of bringing gifts to, guess what, a king, right? Uh, and so there, that's kind of the giveaway there. But we, we have wise men traveling. They traveled by a sign. What was that sign? Does anybody remember? The star. The starfish. Love it. Love it. How many love our coastal Christmas tree? Isn't this great? Miss Patty handpicked the driftwood from Miami Beach. Uh, and then Mr. Pete put it together. So it's, it's, it's really neat. But I, I, this is, was here last year for the first time, and they replaced a, a piece or two this year. Uh, but this is a good staple of Bethlehem down here in our, our coastal area. But uh, they followed the star. It was a sign. It was a, a miraculous work of the Lord to draw them to the house. Um, and so uh, we, we also know that they stopped by... <coughs> They stopped by Herod's on the way, the king, of, really the ruler at the time. And we find that Herod was threatened by the idea of a, a new king, this Christ child, if you will, the new anointed one. And so Herod said, hey, when you find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can go and worship as well. The wise men, when they actually found him, though, the Bible says that the angel warned them in a dream, says, don't go back to Herod. Don't go tell him. Uh, and, and they didn't. They went another way. Herod, being angered by the fact that they evaded him, he proclaimed a, uh, a judgment uh, on two years and under all males to be killed in that region. And that was also uh, prophesied. So what we're going to see here, uh, gift-giving is a phenomenon, right, that, that we're seeing from the wise men. But we're also going to see the massacre of the newborns was prophesied. Uh, this is in the book of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says, a voice. And, and mind you, in Matthew, the gospel quotes this passage in Jeremiah. This is what it says. It says, uh, if I can find it here, the, this is what the Lord says. A voice was heard in Ramah, a lament with bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. So uh, Jacob's wife, Rachel, uh, the founder, really, if you think about it, Jacob's 12 sons, the children of Israel, represented by saying Rachel's children weeping 
for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And many believe this is a prophetic word from Jeremiah talking about how those newborns, toddlers down to, down to newborn would, would be killed. Uh, now, this massacre I've heard is hundreds of thousands, right, in messages preached in the past. Uh, and in my research recently, uh, it seems like Bethlehem, this was a very small community. So a very small community, two and down, it would have been more to the tune of between 20 and 40. So the massacre was still, that's unthinkable, right? Unthinkable, but it's not thousands. We're talking 20 to 40 children. Young boys were killed because of Herod trying to eliminate the Christ child. But here's what I want to point out. This is a prophetic word from Jeremiah. This is what I'm trying to do, right? For, for this uh, Christmas list, this idea of building uh, something for this time period, this time of the year. I want you to understand that everything about this story was prophesied. And when I, when I say prophesied, what I mean online in person is that this was foretold. 2,000, probably 1,500 to 2,000 years before Jesus was actually born, writers in the ancient Near East were prophesying prophetically saying, Rachel will be weeping for these children that will be killed. And, and not just that, right? So think about this right here. Uh, the place was foretold. Chapter 5, verse 2. Bethlehem, Epaphra, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be a ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Not only was the massacre that took place around the birth of Jesus prophesied, but guess what? The place where he was to be born, Bethlehem, was also prophesied. Look, here's... here's as I'm building your faith, as we're talking about 2,000, 1,500, 2,000 to 1,500 years before Jesus ever came, the place was foretold. As we're talking about this, I hope that this is building your faith. You see, like, there's a, there's a lot of people that are trying to deny this. When we think about the fact that from the beginning, do you think Herod was working or do you think the principalities and powers were trying to remove Jesus from this earth? Uh-huh. From the very beginning of his birth, the devil has been trying to shut him down. More than trying to kill him, they then try, if they can't harm him physically because he's being protected by his father, they try to harm him spiritually. They try to tempt Jesus. They try to win Jesus over to their side and offer him all the things that the watchers fell for. Him being tempted as we are tempted, he was triumphant. He didn't fall into sin. But here's my point. There are folks that believe like, you know, I believe the science. I believe that, you know, the, the earth was formed through the Big Bang. Okay. I don't believe any of that religious stuff. All those fairy tales and stories, right? People will say that. Folks that deny scripture and deny the supernatural and the miraculous. Listen, at some point, they have to have faith in something. At some point, if they say it's the big bang, that big bang had to happen when they weren't here. Something in a point, and scientists have recently agreed that at some point, everything began. 
which means that before that point, there was what? Nothing, and then there was what? Something. So it takes faith to believe that something happened. And I, and, and I would say that it takes more faith to believe that something chaotic, a bang, an explosion, produced something so mathematical and precise, like the world that we're living in today. Something so chaotic producing something that goes by routine, that goes by mathematical equations, music, everything that we have can be divided and added and multiplied and put together perfectly. We see, and if you like math, you know that like it's everywhere. And good things that are in this world are things that are structurally ordered. So to me, it takes more faith to believe that something chaotic produced order rather than to say something came from nothing because it was designed and it was ordered by a designer who knew how everything should work from the beginning. To me, it takes less faith for the second one than the first one. But my point is, is at some point, everyone is required to live by faith. Everyone is required, especially here in our context, to live and breathe in such a way that requires you to look back with some sort of believing loyalty on what happened in the past. And my point is we've never had more like detail and we've never had more information about the ancient Near East than, we've, than, than right now. We have so much information. Archaeological discoveries have uncovered so many good things. We understand what they were reading. We understand the Septuagint that the New Testament authors were reading in and where they, uh, were, where they received their Bible and their traditions. We get the context. And so for God to reveal himself, watch, 2,000 years before this point to happen, that should build our faith. We should go, oh my goodness, Isaiah and Jeremiah were talking about this long before it ever happened, and then it happened. If somebody came to you and said, uh, <coughs> your birth was foretold, here's the writing, that you would be born in Newport News, Virginia, at this hospital at this date and time, and it was written 2,000 years before you got here, I'd be like, it's weird. That is some sketch right there, you know what I'm saying. We would all know that that's like really strange, and we would want to know why. That's exactly what happened. And it's the, it's the literally most circulated book on the planet. Like, it's not far-fetched. That's what I'm saying to you. It's time that Christians stop taking the back seat. It's time that we stop saying nothing. It's time that we're like, well, okay, yeah, that's just, yeah, that is what I believe. And then people are like, you actually believe that? You believe in miracles? You believe, I mean, like seriously? In our day and age, in this time, and, and we could actually look at them and say, yeah. Yeah, we do. We do believe it. Yes, in our day and age, and we actually have the book that tells us the details before it ever happened. Where's your book? Who wrote your plan before it ever happened and then delivered it to you because they love you? And said, hey, I want to make a way for you to find me in 6,000 years. And the founder is there 2,000 years ago. Where's that at? Oh, well, 
I believe in science. <laughs> okay, that's cool. The two don't have to be in opposition. We don't have to believe one or the, or the other. But my point is there's faith in anything and everything. And so you don't have to feel like lesser than. In fact, when we come into this time of the year, we don't need to cater to people that don't want to say Christmas. We can say, like, this is my time. I mean, church people ought to be more jazzed about Christmas than anybody. I mean, we literally can be pumping gas at the Rovo and hear a Jesus song on the radio. What, what other time of the year? This is amazing. They're going to talk about Jesus. They're going to sing Christmas carols. It's everywhere. It's all over everything. This is our moment. And we're like, oh, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Oh, my goodness gracious. Now, the, word, the other side is not good either, where you're like, ah, oh, don't you tell me what to do. Don't tell. I'm going to write Christ over every X everywhere. Like, don't be ignorant to people. You know, we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to portray the love of Jesus. Truth and what? Love. But it's a balance, right? It's not rolling over. And it's also not being rude. So we need, we need to find that. But like this time of the year, we should be strengthened. We should know. All right, so uh, let's go back to the, the outline here. The massacre was prophesied. The birthplace was prophesied. Here's another one. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. You know what else was prophesied? That, that he would be born of a virgin. A prophetic word that he would be born of a virgin. Why is that so important? Maybe you're new to this. It's very important. It's actually one of those top-tier theological issues that we should stand for, that we should not say, well, everybody, you know, everybody that's a Christian believes the same things. If they don't believe in the virgin birth, it's okay. No, the virgin birth is actually a, a completely necessary, absolute, tier one theological issue. In Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we find that Jesus is the second Adam from above. Reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Second Adam. The first Adam was, watch, he was created from dust. Every other human being born from Adam, if you read C.S. Lewis, son of Adam, right? Every other human being was birthed from a human father that was tainted with sin. And so therefore, if Jesus was conceived of a virgin, Mary just carrying the Christ child, implanted by the Holy Ghost, there isn't an inherent father to pass down a sin nature. The conception of Jesus miraculously in her womb is necessary because he gets the second chance at humanity that we ruined the first time. He defeats Original sin, if he is able to live his entire 33 and a half years of existence on this earth without sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God, Scripture says. I think that was the Apostle Paul. My point is, is 
It's absolutely necessary for us to believe that it was a miraculous birth from Mary. As we formulate our Christmas list, as we're writing down the details here about the Christ child, we know that it was prophetic that he would be born of a virgin, and we must cling to that because he did what we could not do ourselves. What else was prophesied here? We have the place, the virgin birth, the massacre. Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt can also be found in the text of the massacre. The elements surrounding the story are altogether miraculous and spectacular, aren't they? Foretold. <clears throat> Nothing short of the, of the miracle that we all feel and place our faith in. Now, I told you I would say like a few items that I believe that we've twisted in tradition. One is, I believe that the wise men were not kings, but rather uh, courtiers, in the sense that they were in the presence of kings, and they were commissioned to take gifts from one king to another. In ancient tradition, the king didn't travel, right? Those that worked for the king traveled. And the gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, are consistent with an ancient Near East gift of what they would have given another king. Vitally important for us to understand that. Our Christmas list, if we think about it, the gifts that they brought, the list that they made to bring those gifts to Jesus, were gifts fit for a king. But I'll say this, they were wise men. When we sing, we three kings of Orient are. How many like that Christmas carol? We three kings. It's a great Christmas carol, but it's inaccurate. <laughs> All right? So that's the first thing. We're debunking things weekly here. They weren't kings. They were, they were wise men. They were magi. They were workers of or from the other kingdoms from the east. Here's the other thing. Uh, when we have these nativity scenes of the wise men there bringing the gifts to the baby in the manger, inaccurate. <laughs> we have them arriving at Mary and Joseph's home. And Herod's decree of two years and below showed that Jesus would have been a toddler at the time. And so it took time for them to get there. Uh, and this star that led the way was something that was miraculous for them. Here's where the king piece comes from. There's a, a scripture in Psalms, Psalm 72, 11. It says, let all the kings bow in homage to them. All nations serve him. So many people in tradition believe that that scripture verse has been attributed in tradition maybe rabbinic tradition specifically, that these were kings that came later on. I don't believe that. I think that they're wise men. I think that it follows that tradition. And I don't think they were there at the manger. I believe they were at Mary and Joseph's house when he was a toddler. He was a child. See that? Uh, so that's some of the other. When we just read the Christmas story and we lump it all together, some of those accounts are going into his childhood, not necessarily him as a baby in the manger. So some of those earlier traditions, I think it's a little bit helpful. Now, let's connect today. Let's land the plane, shall we? I want to read the scripture. And, and how many of you are familiar with the word Messiah? Okay, quite a few. Uh, maybe not half, but, but several of you. This word Messiah. And um, we could have, we could say the word Christ, right? The word Christ uh, in the Greek, Christos. Uh, coming from uh, a similar word, similar transition, translation. Let's, let's read. Um, before I get there, I want to read this. So here's the prophet Isaiah. Then a shoot 
Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. I want to point this out. I mean, how many have noticed, and this is just free, right, in your Bible study that, like, everything in Scripture that's significant happens around a tree? Has anybody ever noticed that? He plants a garden in the beginning, and in the middle of the garden he puts the tree of life. Every time there was a significant moment where they erect an altar, they do so by a tree. I mean, it's like over and over. It's referred to a tree that he's crucified upon. Like it's, there's, there's a analogy in ancient Near East culture that used, utilizes trees as moments in time, significant moments. And so from this, in the prophet Isaiah, when he says there's a shoot that will grow out from a stump of Jesse, he's referencing a tree that has been cut down, that then a branch from the roots will bear what? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Let's keep going. I think, is there more or is that it? That's it. So the first part of that, (coughs) you can go back to it. I'm sorry, I'm pushing you everywhere because my program's not working. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Now, here's what I want to connect. Jesse is the father of who? David, King David. Now, uh, just a little, you know, biblical history lesson here. King David was the second king, but many believe that he should have been the first king, the man after God's own heart. The, The children of Israel wanted a king like all the other nations, so they pick a dude that's head and shoulders over everybody else. And that's King Saul. And his reign was a disaster. But one thing that I want to point out is within his reign, bear with me, I'm I'm going on this for a reason. In his reign, there was a moment where he became extremely insecure and he wanted to kill David. David would be his successor, not one of his sons. Now, let me explain something to you. This made sense. Because the Bible says, remember, everything was prophesied ahead of time. It's the throne of David because he was of the tribe of Judah. Everybody knew in the Israelite culture in the ancient Near East that the kings were supposed to come from the tribe of Judah. And the Bible says that Saul, King Saul, was of the tribe of Benjamin. Even Saul, when he was elected king, said, why am I the king? I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not supposed to be a king, but they said, you look like a king. You're bigger than everybody else. You're the king. Okay. And it causes problems when men and women try to write our own plan when God already had a plan. We want the king. It's going to be him. And God's like, I have a line. I have a tribe that produces kings. But the problem is, is that tribe is producing people that you don't think are king worthy. God doesn't look on the outward, he looks on the inward. Just because, and let me, just a little sidebar here. When we take the social media approach, when we do what looks good, when we do what we think everyone will like, sometimes the Lord is like, you're choosing that over what I was going to do. You think that relationship with that boy or girl because you're lonely is the one for you for all time? When I just want you to be patient and acceptant of your singleness, and I'm going to bring the right one when it's the right time. 
And what happens is, is we, we sacrifice because we're impatient on the altar of the immediate to have a king, to have something in our lives that we desire. And God says, if you would just wait, I'll give you the desires of your heart in my time. And it will be a good gift and a perfect gift. But we don't do that. Neither did the children of Israel. But what I want to point out is the fact that David, when being chased by Saul, he finds him in a cave. And the story goes as such that David takes his knife and he cuts the hem of Saul's garment. He approaches him in the cave and he cuts a piece of his robe and he keeps it. He keeps it as a token to say, I could have killed you if I wanted to. And you know what? David was judged in his heart for doing that. Why? Because every king, watch this. Here's the word that the Old Testament uses. Every king is anointed by God. Regardless of whether Saul was the right one, the Lord installed him as king, and his position was one of an anointing. I want to point this verse out to you. The Bible says here, if I can find it, and if you find it before I do, go ahead and throw it up there. Psalm 105.15, do not touch my anointed ones or harm my what? Prophets. The word anointing, guess, guess what the Hebrew word is? Mashiach. Mashiach, we get the same word, Messiah. The word Mashiach just means my anointed one. And this verse specifically shows the theology of the ancient Near East that a king was ordained or anointed, watch this, by God. Not just the prophet, but it's so, look, don't miss this. It's so important for us to see that the kingly position and the prophetic position are both anointed by God. Now go back to that verse. The Bible says that there will come, uh, if I can find it here, there will, it's the Isaiah, the shoot one. Can you put it back up there? Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, a branch, a, a root, right? So we understand that what, what the prophet is doing here is he is saying that David was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. And what, what Jesus is, is an offshoot prophetically of his line. You see, Jesus is of the, Matthew proves this, Matthew's genealogy shows Jesus' Jewish line as one that comes from the line of David, who would have been prophetically from the tribe of Judah, which is where the what? The kings come from. Why is it said that he is the Messiah? Because he's the anointed one. He's the king of Israel. Do you understand that prophetically what's happening here? It's not just, oh, isn't that great? Jesus was born the Savior of the world. No, no, no. The ancient Near East, these Israelites, these Jews, after having a period of time of desolation, captivity, at being in bondage, going back after their land has been destroyed and rebuilding in the second temple period over and over, here's what they wanted. Here's what they were looking for, a king. The reason why the wise men coming was so significant is because everybody knew they were coming to the birthplace of a king, the Messiah, the anointed one. How many of us have looked at it that way? How many of us have thought about it from the perspective of 
Jesus is my Savior. Jesus saves me from my sins. No, Jesus is your King. All hail King Jesus. Why is that significant? Why is this scripture, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night? Then the angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim good news. Proclamations were made for the birth of a who? Of a king. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people today in the city of there will come uh-huh, out of the stump of Jesse, a branch and offshoot. Do you understand what you believe in? Has a root, has a tree, has a significant place in the ancient Near East. Not just the who, but the where. And the where was prophesied that he would come. In the city of David, from David's line, from David's lineage, a Savior was born for you. Who is the Messiah, the Lord? Don't miss that Messiah. Who is the Mashiach? Who is the anointed one? Who is the new king? This will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped tightly in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. The Old Testament reveals in Yahweh's sovereign plan to place a king on the throne of David and we see the birthplace was one fit for a king. Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ child that will sit on the throne of David forever. With this understanding, we lavish him with gifts. I want to connect the dots here. Listen to this passage of scripture. The Bible says here in in Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, and now you are God's people, You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The beginning of that says, you're a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Do you understand that Jesus makes us sons and daughters? What does that mean? It literally means we are royalty. What Peter is trying to say is the Christ child being born was the anointing of the king that would birth the holy nation. Oh my goodness. Jesus in this transaction is our brother. God is our father. In other words, if you declare your loyalty and align yourself proclaiming the gospel, the good news, that Jesus is your king, then you are heirs. You are sons. You are daughters. You're a royal priesthood. Do you understand the significance that he came from the line of David? Why is that important? Why is it important that he's a virgin-born son of God? (laughs) Because he's making a new royal nation, and we are sons and daughters. Do you understand the significance of that? No person would storm into the castle back then 
No person would have entered into the throne room of King David unannounced like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? We think about the, the Game of Thrones mentality, right, when we see how that world operated, but we forget that that's the world in which the scriptures are written. We forget that this idea, God wants you to see yourself as royalty. Maybe this holiday season, you don't feel like royalty. Maybe you feel broken. Maybe you feel undeserving. Maybe you feel like you don't have a purpose. There's no such thing as royalty not having a purpose. How many saw the royal family at Madison Square Garden this week? And the interim coach, they were like, hey, how was it having the royal family there in Madison Square Garden? William and uh, Kate were there. Anybody see that? Nobody saw that? And he's like, what do you mean? Was it like Mary and Joseph and Jesus there? That's the only royal family I know. It was awesome. My wife was so offended because she likes William and Kate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Look, you, you, you got to realize what you're a part of. You have to understand that the first Christmas list that brought gifts were royal gifts. Scripture says this, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, sent down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no change. I think that our Christmas list this year should be a little different. You say, I'm not royalty. I can't afford a bike for my kids. <laughs> I can't afford fill in the blank. I don't live in a castle. You're looking at this from the wrong perspective. Man looketh on the outward, but God looks on the heart. How are we doing with this idea of Christmas gifts? Are they centered around Jesus? Are they the way that the wise men would have portrayed it? Did, did it change Jesus? Did, he, did Jesus take the gold and run to the pawn shop and cash it in and say, Mom and Dad, let's go live in a fancier house because we're kings and queens? No, he knew who he was. He knew he was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He knew that he was King Jesus and that one day he would sit on a throne and reign. But that wasn't that season. He became a servant. Look, my point here is just to provoke thought. My point is for us to think about this Christmas season from the perspective of the scriptures. Here's what I got for you. Ready? Now, remember, in the program are four questions for you to debrief this message about. Maybe do that in your small groups. Maybe we'll do it tonight if anybody comes. Please come to my small group, 5 o'clock tonight. My wife's cooking. Here's what I want to leave you with. Number one, th maybe this is something you can teach your kids. Make two Christmas lists, one for the seen gifts and one for the unseen gifts. How about this year we make two Christmas lists? One for the seen gifts and one for the unseen. Yeah, I really want a new coffee pot. I don't. I'm just making that up. I'm really good. I want a new coffee pot. But you know what I also want? I want God's grace. I, I really want, like, what's something somebody want? Come on. What's on your Christmas list? I really want a new pair of boots. What brand? It matters. It doesn't matter. I'm so dumb. <laughs> Miss Grace really wants a new pair of boots, but Miss, Miss Grace also wants love. 
make two lists. Do you know God sees things that we don't see? You know he gives good gifts. We have not because we... Number one, make two Christmas lists. Can you do it? You promise? That's your homework. Number two, develop an action plan to both deliver and receive those gifts. Hey, develop an action plan to both deliver and receive. We're real good at receiving. Come on. I love boots. That's a great, that's really good. That's a great gift. I got new boots this week. I love boots. Listen to me. Develop an action plan. Teach your children how to receive and how to give them. You know why children aren't good at giving gifts? Because they're not good at receiving gifts. If you teach your children how to receive good gifts, and we're we're working on this, if you teach them how to receive them, they'll be good gift givers. Number one, number one, make two what? Christmas lists. Make two what? Christmas lists. One for the scene and one for the what? Second thing, develop an action plan to both deliver and receive those gifts. Number three and final, take time to shape the proper perspective in your heart and then in the lives of others. Take time to shape the proper perspective of this season in your heart and then in the lives of others. How many can think a little deeper about Christmas than you were thinking? Come on now, my hand's up. How many can go a little deeper into the prophetic word of what scripture teaches us about Jesus? Listen, let's do that this year. Think deeper, develop a deeper, clear perspective of what the Lord's doing in your heart. And then once you do that, guess what? Help other people do the same. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.